Hi listeners, welcome to another footnote episode of the Fantasy Animation Podcast. I'm Alex Sargent. And I'm Chris Holliday. Today we're doing world building, Chris. Worlds, world building, so, fictional worlds, worldliness, yeah, yeah. yeah. God, we can do all of them in ten minutes. It's the same so. thing. It's all about okay. film, film, film and media, well art, I'd say, sure. art's ability to create... To create fictional worlds, and I think I think the world fictional, the word fictional is as important as the word worlds, um, sure. especially in relation to animation and fantasy. So this is, I think, this is a good one. Fictional worlds, world building, arts ability to create worlds is a good fantasy animation one to do. I agree. I think it might also be a good scaffold. Like we'll set up some other footnotes to go into later down, because there's a lot to cover here, but I think we'll do our best in 10 minutes. Which is lucky, because we were thinking before we started, what other subjects should we do? So maybe the, dis- the very discussion <laughs> we'll, we'll of, find out. of yeah. fictional worlds will help. All right, so what is, he says, starting the timer, world building as you understand it? As I understand it, it's sort of a way of thinking about fictional works, from painting to comics to video games to animated films to, to live-action films. Um, a way of thinking about those artworks without using the term realistic. We, we know that these, these um, works are fictional because I cannot leap into a painting, I cannot leap in through the screen into my, into my animated film or whatever. Um, so I acknowledge their fictionality um, and at the same time I'm acknowledging their ability to create what seems like a coherent, logical, authentic, believable environment. Um, So it's a way of talking about fictional works without talking about how uh, the the world created by um, Snow White is highly realistic. Well, no, it's not, because realism holds no purchase, because we know it's not realistic. So we're we're denying its fictionality. And the minute you embrace an artwork's fictionality, you can start to think about it as a fictional construct. And, And often writers, Victor Perkins, James Walters, in the context of film, have talked about cinema's ability to create worlds, uh, convincing, believable, um, worldly spaces. I think it's interesting you position it up against realism, because obviously that works very well for both fantasy and animation. But I also think for, like, the way this kind of got triggered within film studies, right, was was v, uh, Victor Perkins, V.F. Perkins's uh, article, uh, Where in the World, uh, which was in a edited collection, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, Style and Meaning, yeah. Style and Meaning, Douglas Pye and uh, John Gibbs. I mean, yes. Edited, right. So this article comes out by Victor Perkins, the late, great Victor Perkins, that also, I thought, provided, provided a really useful way of doing film analysis that wasn't based around character and narrative, yeah. but seemed to be able to speak to the aesthetic depths of what's going on <clears throat> in a film. Right? Yeah. So he famously... Perkins analyzes like the opening of Citizen Kane and says like you know you can read that film as setting up the character of, of Charles Foster Kane you can read it as setting up the narrative dimensions and the, uh, the narrational strategies but actually what's happening on the screen is a, is a world is being played out before your yeah. eyes a world where Charles Foster Kane lives in a, a world where 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 Orson Welles doesn't exist but a world where Charles Foster Kane exists yeah, yeah. a world where William Randolph Hearst <clears throat> doesn't exist and Hearst Castle doesn't exist but Xanadu does but a world where Paris still exists and and Munich still exists and mm. New York still exists so that idea of of film creating up the parameters of a yeah. fictional horizon through yes. the way it is made and the, and the choices of mise-en-scene, I think, yeah. uh, seems very influential in both of our kind of key words. Yeah, yeah, and it's tied very closely to the notion of borders and boundaries. So Sten, uh, Stanley Cavell talks yeah, sure. about the kind of question of... if we do Cavell. Um, the sort of question of it makes no sense to ask of a painting what exists beyond the frame because 
one knows that on, ontologically or uh, that there is no paint to be on the frame because the painting, the artist stopped painting. Um, and with a film, the opposite is true. You can always ask what is being selected of a, a, a live action film, I should say. There's always a sort of a shot declares prominence, but there are there's a world of off-screen. And, and Victor's argument is about borders, but it's also about on-screen and off-screen space. And his argument is that we should not think of off-screen as any more or any less fictional than what is on-screen, because the, the, the image carries what he would call a sort of both a selective representation, but an abundance of what goes without saying. So he talks about goes without saying in relation to both a shot of, uh, an establishing shot of the Houses of Parliament, let's say, which implies um, a political system, it implies a legal system, it implies a, a world where people adhere to those rules, but presumably also break the laws. But if they break the law, then it's also a symbol of, of prison or um, justice. So there's all these goes without sayings that are embedded within often just an establishing shot. And his example, I think, is... I may have got this wrong, but uh, from you only live twice. Uh, you only live twice. <laughs> I really wish it were, uh, but um... uh, from you only live once, the Fritz Lang film, um, where I don't know why you did it like that, but I'm not going to cut that. Out. Oh, you know, okay. I don't, I don't edit these. Um... No, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think because no, now I'm doubting whether it's even Fritz Lang. No, it's it's uh, Fritz Lang. You only live yeah, once. You only live yeah. once, um, and I think it's a shot of a police door or sort of the scales of justice, and then it then it. Um, uh, dissolves into a, a, a policeman's sure. front door. And it's all the things that are embedded within that image that tell us about the nature of the world. Yeah. Um, this is a world in which if someone breaks the law, there will be ramifications. This is not a lawless world. Yeah. And all that so sort it's of all these extra bits of information that you're learning in a film that yeah. is beyond the thing written on the back of the DVD cover and the thing that we sort of think we're supposed to talk about when we interpret art. It, it's like, it's the it's the depths of the aesthetic encounter yeah. that we're, we're being... But crucially, there's a distinction as well with something like narr a narrative begins, but the world does not. Yes. So that's his argument as well, that we're always into a world of going without sayings. The narrative, you know, the world has organised itself into a series of stories and we are following this story. But in Rear Window, we could equally be following any of the fictional stories that take place in any of the windows. And also what happens, and James McDowell has written about the liminal space of the alleyway where people come and go and you can, and they exit and enter the frame. But that, that alleyway and the sort of spaces of occlusion, I guess, are also symbols of a world that exists beyond the frame. Yeah. So he's sort of, what, what, one of the things about Victor Perkins' writing is that he's kind of doing a quasi-phenomenology. And by that, I mean thinking through our ex what we bring to the film as a spectator based on our own experiences. So the sort of, I, I, I can see a, a symbol of a courthouse and make some a series of uh, assumptions, but the film, and Victor writes this in, in Where is the World, the film does not need to itemise all the fictional constituents of the world. It can leave them as going without saying. Now, as any great film scholar should do, we have spoken a lot about Victor Perkins. We now only have four minutes to talk about how this applies to animation and fantasy. Okay. So maybe we should... Telegraph some stuff at it. Yeah, highlights. yeah. Well, if you, ironically, if you cut out the "you only live twice" mistake, we'd have more time. But anyway, not gonna um, with it, in the case of animation studies, I think there's a lot of writing that that um, is almost indebted to, to, to Perkins's writing of fictional worlds without being directly indebted at all. I.e., the notion that animation, by virtue of its presence, creates a world, and because we know already that animation is a, as, a, and as an artificial, rhetorical, enunciative medium, as many animation writers would, would, would tell us, um, we already know its landscapes and its environments are fake and falsified. Often we, that's why we bought the ticket, because we want to see an animated world. 
I think animated films are rich spaces to think exactly about what what Victor calls the horizon of events in movie fiction, and 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 invites us to think about what is relevant, what he calls part of our knowledge of the relevant data in relation to to, to animated films. So I've written a blog post, fantasy animation blog post on on the fictional world of Up, from one shot a shot analysis of Up, how we can spin that out into discussion regarding a set of assumptions about. The, the the realism in quote marks, but what I really mean is the authenticity, coherency, or, uh, believability of an animated world. Fantasy, I feel like you've talked about anime, you've talked about fantasy worlds with like Portal Quest and yeah, imagined yeah, so, worlds. So the way this often gets talked about in fantasy discussions is in literature, again, it's this kind of rhetor- rhetorical device of building the world through language, building the world through mapping. A lot yes. of people talk about Maps, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also VFX um, scholarship on, on fantasy is often both popular and academic discussions are often are very interested in the role of special effects in filling in the world or or not even special effects, just just effects, right? Set design, production design. Um, David um, Butler talks a lot oh, about yes. um, the problems of world building prior to, prior to VFX on screen um, in his book, Fantasy Cinema. And then, of course, James Walters, who also has a bit, book called Fantasy Film, but um, actually for the purpose of this discussion, his book, Alternative Worlds in Fantasy in, in, in uh, Hollywood, Hollywood Cinema, yeah, yeah. is a really um, really useful way of thinking these things through. I've actually also written on world building with, yes, Game um, of Thrones. With, with Game of Thrones because quite a lot of fantasy scholarship, because it's so focused on VFX, tends to privilege a kind of cinematic register. So I've written on, on how we might start to think about these things in terms of televisual um, fantasy because of mm-hmm. course you're built like when you build a world through a a, a series like Game of Thrones have a slightly different set of visual strategies are going yeah. on than if you build it in two hours it's, uh, it's funny because a lot of this scholarship is is really recent and you're right that it's I wouldn't necessarily say it's a, a 100% a, a post-Victor phenomenon but it sort of well, is Cavell as well right yeah so Cavell, the world viewed is, yeah. is like this key work of film philosophy that thinks about the yeah. fact that film both capture takes from the world like it is a medium that, that captures the world in space yeah. and time and also creates worlds out of it and and the kind of yeah, yeah the, the, it, the, the impact of that is a really yeah. but it allows us it seems a, very fil- it seems really good because it seems very filmy like yeah can can literature literature <clears throat> may be able to describe a fictional world but cinema can somehow show, create, literally build that world in the same way you mm-hmm. build a world out of the reality you experience. There seems to be something uniquely um, cinematic, which probably is not true, but it feels like we can own this yeah. discourse in a bit more kind of <laughs> a bit more authority. So we like we like doing it. Well, right? well, yes, you're right. Uh, I mean, fictional worlds are built from words and images, so it's often about creating a world that could, as Victor would say, that that could not and should not have existed but it, can, it has that ability to conjure it in our mind paintings are great for thinking about fictional worlds mm. assumptions about realism but as I said I like I like thinking about fictional worlds because it gets us towards notions of credibility authenticity but also reflections on illusion, illusionism and mimicry uh, and, and also even, just what, what lies beyond narrative like the, the kind of I think often boring stuff like narrative characterization yeah mean the, the, the kind of Top-level meaning-making that supposedly yeah, agree, what's yes. going on, I th- and I think that is why people love people love Pixar movies. Often, be, be sure, because of the narratives and yeah. the characters, but I think it's their ability to I'd, create worlds. I'd say people watch films for the first time for the narrative, and they return to a film for the world. Um, and that's and that's and, us done. <laughs> and, that's, and that's us. That's us return to the world now. Um, so yeah, world building. Um, 
if you have anything else you want to say if you want to, or you want to suggest a future footnote episode you can get in contact at fananimresearch f-a-n-a-n-i-m research at gmail.com um, and you can also use uh, that same handle on our Twitter Instagram and Facebook to contact us there um, we're also at fantasy-animation.org otherwise we'll see you later bye